This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm excited. We have Noelle Ifshin on the show. Noelle is the Director of Leasing and Sales for Delphi Commercial Properties, which is an affiliate of DLC Management, and she is the president of 4Q Consulting, a restaurant consulting business. Noelle has been in the restaurant industry for 25 years. I am excited to have her. Welcome to the show, Noelle. Why, thanks for having me, Chris. Pleasure's all mine. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about more about you, your career, and what you are up to? Well, thank you, Chris. So uh, again, it's nice to be here. Um, so obviously, I come from a real estate family. I came to the real estate business in a very circuitous manner. I have a BA in economics. Uh, I then went to culinary school. Surprised everyone went to culinary school. <laughs> Where'd I you go to culinary school? The Culinary Institute of America. Okay. Up in uh, Hyde Park, New York. And then I spent... Uh, roughly 20 years cooking professionally. Uh, wow. Then I then I transitioned into the business side of the restaurant and corporate food service industry. Uh, I ended up leaving the food service uh, industry and branching out on my own. I opened a food consulting business in 2012. And uh, about a year and a half into that, I realized that the majority of my clients needed retail space open restaurants. That was one of their first, if not first question, they would come to me saying, I need a space to open a restaurant. So I then went and got licensed as a real estate salesperson in New York and then moved on and got licensed as a broker. Awesome. Then in 2018, I came to do brokerage work with you guys over at TLC. You were cooking professionally for 20 years. What, what, what type of food were you cooking? Oh, everything from modern Asian cuisine to mostly seafood. Um, I, I did just about everything except baking. And what, what do you think is your, if you were gonna face off Bobby Flay in the Bobby Flay, <laughs> beat Bobby Flay, what would your specialty dish be? Oh, I don't know, Chris. It's been, it's been a while since I've cooked professionally, so I I probably wouldn't face Bobby Flay in a cook-off. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but you said you cooked a lot of seafood. I did. I For uh, about 12 years, I worked for a restaurant group where we predominantly, and we were based in Long Island, we predominantly focused in seafood. And we started in Montauk and worked our way back towards Nassau County on the island. And you make a good clam chowder? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Both red and white. I'm, about, I'm putting that on, the, on my notes right now. I'm taking down <laughs> notes. Noelle can make an awesome clam chowder. I, I'll be, come November, December, <laughs> when it's cold outside, I might give you a ring. I might have to ship some to you since and, we're not working together in an office anymore. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, uh, so you have an awesome restaurant background. Obviously, you have a history in real estate. I want to ask you the million-dollar question before we start talking about everything restaurant, everything food business. 
the million dollar question. I know you're not going to like the question, but everyone wants to know. Are okay. you ready for the million dollar question? I, oh yeah, I am, Chris. It's, it's actually a $5 million question. I'm, if I give you $5 million, and so here are the rules with the $5 million. Okay, I'm ready. One, it has to go to opening a restaurant. Rule two, you have to open it January 2021. And rule three, you have to be, have some conviction that it's going to be successful. What are we doing? Where's my five million going? Do you have a location in mind? <laughs> it's a good question. It's a well, great. Well, it's the first, as, as somebody who's licensed in real estate and we're a real estate company, it, the location's going to be key, right? So, and with everything that's going on these days, um, I think that that's going to, listen, your location's going to make or break your restaurant. So that's the first determining factor. Uh, we're going to over food. So that's a good pivot over food. The, the location, do you think matters more than the food quality? I think that's a good talking point. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, listen, there are basics in the restaurant business or in any hospitality business that have to be there that your customers are going to expect. You can't open a restaurant with bad food, right? So if you're, you're sure. asking me to open a restaurant, I'm assuming that you're expecting the food's going to be good. So that's a given, right? I'm right. expect you're expecting that there's going to be great service, that there's going to be uh, great communication, that the staff's going to be knowledgeable. That's a baseline that we're going to make the assumption is already there. Got it. So okay. the location, yes, the location is going to be a growing upper middle income suburb in the United States. And that's a great answer, especially with what's going on these days. So. Um, I think that the restaurant would be on the smaller size rather than the larger size okay. in terms of square feet, even with social distancing requirements, if they're still in place, we'll put that aside for the moment. Um, we are going to find a location that was an existing restaurant because the ventilation might still be there. So we don't have to punch through and build from the ground up if we have yep. to open in three months since it's September 1st. <laughs> Too shy. Um, it's going to be zoned appropriately. It's going to allow for a restaurant. I would prefer it to be a fast, casual restaurant rather than a fine dining sit down because I think for a while, fine dining sit down is going to take a hit a little bit in the marketplace. Um, I would like there to be an ability to have some outside dining maybe not in January, but as we warm up into the spring, have the ability to serve outside. Um, I think people will still remember that we're in, a, you know, there could be another wave of this or this could happen again. Sure. Um, maybe there could be a drive-through or a pickup window of some kind for cur or curbside area. I love this. In addition this. to the outside space. Um, maybe we could buy an existing business because $5 million gives you a lot of money to play with. So it could, maybe it could be turnkey I like somewhat. That. Um, and then we just change the branding, the concept, the food, and the food, um, for conceptual, you know, there are, um, things that are doing well now are, uh, things that did well during the pandemic are 
uh, the pizza category, the pizza pasta category did very well during the pandemic. They lends well to takeout and delivery, um, to go. It's family friendly. It's comfort food. People are still in that phase, even though people are venturing out more and people are itchy to get out more and want to get out more. They're still a little hesitant. Um, pizza pasta has a great profit margin. I love um, this. and great food cost that helps with the profit margin. Yeah. Um, so those categories did w actually did very well during the pandemic. They're the, one of the few. That's, um, that's great. Yeah. I think that's, that's, a I mean, good... that's a lot in a very quick answer. Yeah, no, I think it was a good. I think it was fantastic to give the listeners kind of your thought process behind that. Right. And how you went from, you know, one side of it, which was the market. Then we went down to the type of location. It was smaller. It was existing restaurant previously zoned, right? Had existing restaurant infrastructure, maybe potential for outdoor dining, drive-through to go pick up in store. And then you went to a fast casual category and one that, you know, has high margins and is comfort food, travels well with delivery, and is a fan favorite. I think all those are spot on good lessons for everyone that we learned in the pandemic. I, I believe the quick comfort food is, is here to stay where we're coming into the fall, you know, there's going to be some apple streusels out there and some pumpkin pies about to be, you know, uh, baked throughout the, you know, and I think as the fall comes and you have, you know, Sunday footballs, the weather gets, it gets a little darker. You're going to see some, you know, fall. Um, you're going to see some comfort foods uh, stay here. I don't know that that's going away um, as much as we're in a health craze in America. Uh, you know, they're the whole plant-based restaurants and food was so hot pre-pandemic. As much as we are that, we're still looking for that comfort and that feel-good food that travels well and is quick and easy. I think that's the other, the other thing that you mentioned that I didn't hit on. It was family-friendly. Right. You know, in, in my house, Friday night's pizza night, you know, that's it's family friendly food for sure. It's easy. It's delicious. Right. It's quick and it's affordable, you know, it's affordable. It's, it's very affordable. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, that playing my game with me. So, <laughs> Although uh, opening a restaurant in three months is challenging. Touche. Yes, it is. I also like the concept that you mentioned, if you could buy an existing restaurant, that might be the path to least resistance. That That's good thought provoking ideas for the listeners out there. And, um, you know, we might see, I, I'm interested to see on like a national, the, the major chains, if you see more of that, you know, I, I you know, I just saw something fat burger or, um, is buying Johnny rockets. I, I, I think you're going to see more of that. There might be an opportunity to buy in that world as well. So we'll see. So we, we talk, we've been talking a lot lately about restaurants and, and we talked a little bit before this and you had some thoughts on some other things that are kind of going on in your head and what you're seeing and what, and, and what your past experience has told you about restaurants. Why don't you take us through a little bit on, um, for lack of a better word, what might the restaurant industry look like in the future? Well, some of the things we I hit upon in, in 
when you threw $5 million at me to open a restaurant on the fly. Um, some of the things that, you know, the, the pandemic was definitely a shock to the, to the restaurant industry, and it's still a shock to the industry. A lot of, um, some restaurants haven't come back. Some are still being very cautious about reopening, depending on where you are. There were a lot of trends happening and market forces happening in the industry prior to the pandemic. Uh, and I think that talking about some of those would help put the conversation in context of Let's where we are today. And I think that some of those trends got accelerated. And I think some of those trends stopped dead in their tracks. So I think, you know, that the pandemic stopped those for, from moving forward. And I think that some of the things that we talked about, you know, the basics being the basics. For example, when you asked me about I hadn't talked about the food in the restaurant. We talked about the location. Those will never, I don't think that those will ever, should ever change in the restaurant business. For example, the quality, the experience, the knowledge, um, you know, you have to put out a consistent product. That, the, the, that's the foundation, right? So you can't build a restaurant on a cracked foundation, just like you can't put up when you, in, in your construction team, you can't put up a building on a cracked foundation or the building will fall down, right? So you, just like in every industry, you need to have the basics have to be there regardless of what time you're in. Um, how you execute those basics might have to change, but the basics are still the basics. Um, Makes sense. Right. I, I think that there are some demographic changes happening that affect where people are physically. I think there are some demographic changes about um, how consumers are viewing their purchases. And I think that there are some demographic changes about the biggest decision you'll make if you want to either open a restaurant or revamp up that restaurant. And we're talking about, you know, we work with a lot of businesses that have multiple um, locations, right? So if you're thinking about opening a restaurant, the first biggest decision is where do you put that restaurant? So it, a lot of times you talk to your guests on this show about how that store ended up in my neighborhood. Right. Right. So that's the biggest question. And if you're seeing people, there was a trend probably in the mid 2010s where um, a lot of Americans were leaving cities for suburbs. And that was due to economic growth in the economy coming out of the Great Recession. For the economic rebound, the economy was getting better and better. People were leaving cities anyhow, and the pandemic made, accelerated that um, to a greater extent, and it made it happen a little quicker. And the question is, you know, if you're planning to open a restaurant in a downtown location after the pandemic is over, will those office buildings still have tenants in them, right? So, you know, that might affect whether you have lunch business or not. So, right. need, yeah. so as an operator, you need to look at all the factors of where you're going to put your location if you're going to have customers, because that's the first question restaurant operators will ask. The second question is, how many tables do you need? How many turns do you need to make? Because the second question is, how do I break even? Right. right? So those two questions go hand in hand as yep. an operator, right? So if, we're, yeah. if, we, if we focus on the first pillar that you talked about, which was demographics. Right. One of the challenges, I think, is we have a a very mobile world today. You know, I, I was on LinkedIn and I, I, 
I, I saw a guy and he's like, this is the, these are the 10 cities I lived in the last six years. Right. So we have a mobile world when you have fixed infrastructure, how, what, how does a restaurateur get their arms around a more rapid migration? I think if you're talking about metropolises, there's always going to be ebb and flow in and out of those cities, right? right. So, yeah. you know, and there's always going to be tourist dollars. The question is, you know, at some point we will come out of the pan this pandemic. So the, the assumption is that those flows will flow again, right? Right, yeah. So it's just a matter of- yeah, it's not just one way. It's not just one. It's not just one way. Exactly. But I think that there will be a rise and there has been a trend. You have to really look at the trend pre pandemic because the assumption is that will keep going to the suburbs because there has been growth in retail, as you know, and in uh, restaurant growth in the suburbs. So, you know, the urban sprawl has got has gone farther and farther out and businesses have done very well out further outside of the cities. Got it. So and, so, and if you couple that with who is spending their money, right? So if you look at the trends, each category of generation spends differently. Right. Right, so millennials spend differently than my generation, which is Gen X, spends differently than baby boomers, right? They right. want different things. So I would say millennials and Gen Z want more organic, um, healthier, um, newer, um, yep. um, sustainably sourced um, food that comes from a company that is community focused, that communicates in a digital format, that communicates regularly with their customers on a digital platform that they don't have to pick up a phone and call a restaurant. Whereas if you get want a baby boomer to make a reservation, they're going to pick up the phone, right? So you have to be able to cater to both because the baby boomers have all the money. Right. Right. right? And you have to, you, you know, you have to sort of, you have to find the balance between those two. Well, so you, you just said a lot there, right? So we pivoted from uh, the one portion of the demographics of, you know, where we want the location, what type of consumer. And then who? we talked about, you know, who that consumer is now. And we're talking about the millennials and the baby boomers and Gen X, Gen Z, all the different generations. And you talked about some of the things that millennials are looking for, which is um, a restaurant that supports the community. They have, um, they, communicate digitally and they don't have to pick up the phone. Um, we talked about sustainably sourced food. Um, so these are things that for some old school restaurateurs are a challenge. Um, you know, the, the restaurant that's catering to, you know, corporate business lunch on a regular basis, this is uh, very different than how they've done business over the years. Yes, but that millennial will become that corporate business lunch client within the next five years because the oldest millennial is now 35. Right. Right. But, so, but do they 
Does the restaurant, does the millennial going to shift their buying habit or do they still want it sustainably sourced food? No, they're the not. Community? They're not. They still want it sustainably and they're not going to sit down in a restaurant for a two hour lunch. Unless they become the CEO. Unless they become the CEO. There you go. Right. And they have to entertain clients, which is, which is not which is not undoable, but it's not the, it's not the majority of lunch consumers. The majority right. of lunch consumers are workers. Right. Right. So yes, in, in markets like New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago, there are the CEOs that dine out for lunch. But the majority of people that eat lunch eat a sandwich or go through the drive-thru. Right. So let's talk about lunch. Okay, let's, let's, let's do let's, lunch. Let's talk about lunch. What's going to happen if, if we have a world where people are working remotely? What happens to lunch in America? That's a really good question. <laughs> what happens if people don't go back to their offices? Yeah. Right? Um, so, you know, you, you asked me to put my thoughts together what the restaurant of the future looks like. That's a question I couldn't answer. Would you say that... You know, lunch is always a challenging business for restaurants. Uh, breakfast, lunch are always challenging. I assume lunch is going to be more challenging than ever, at least in the next 12 months. Um, do you think that restaurants would be, except for the quick serve Chipotle's and, you know, the, the pizza guys of the world, except for those and, and pizza females of the world, except for those, would you say that? maybe a, a, a way to get through and get to profit profitability is maybe not focus on lunch. Yes. Or focus on a different segment. So maybe you offer part of, cause a lot of restaurants, uh, you know, did um, meal kits for dinner during the pandemic. So maybe part of a meal kit or um, a family value pack for dinner includes an extra something in your to-go order at dinner so you can eat it the next day for lunch for like half the price of what a lunch entree would cost. So what like it? if a lunch entree was $8 for an extra $4, we'll, you know, send you home with. I actually hadn't seen this. that. That's a great idea. You know, we'll, we'll send you home with an extra you know, something that packs well, that carries well, that can sit in the fridge overnight and you can eat that as your lunch the next day. So here's something that just dawned on me. What do, have restaurateurs figured out what people are doing for lunch now? Because like me or any, you know, anyone in who's pretty busy like yourself, you know, a lot of people don't have the time, even though they're home, to just sit down and make a burrito from Chipotle. What are people doing for lunch now? Do we know yet? I don't know if we know fully. I mean, yesterday I looked up and it was three o'clock and realized I hadn't stopped to eat. Right. Because sometimes we're busier working from home because we're on back-to-back -back calls and conferences all day long. Yeah. Uh, right. I know people are, or, are ordering in. I know people are skipping. I know people are stopping and making lunch. Um, so 
maybe that's an opportunity for restaurateurs. Feeding people home, right? It's a different, right. different business model than everyone coming out of the office building and walking down to your place. Right. The, 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 if that's your business model, this is different, but you know, there's, and people aren't eating together, but do you think it's possible the, the restaurant, that restaurant, could they do some sort of, for lack of a better word, quick serve lunch during the day and then do their, you know, their full menu dinner at night? Is that, could they, could, is that a pivot a restaurant tour could make? It depends on the restaurant. I mean, I, I do know that places like delis and takeout places for lunch are, are back up and running. Right. right. And they're doing lots of delivery and takeout orders as they were. They're just delivering to people's homes instead of offices. Right. So that business is, is back in business. Got it. So we've, we've, let's unpack what we've covered so far. We've covered the, demographics, where should the restaurant go? How, how do I break even? We covered the, the differences in millennials and the baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Z. And then we covered what's happening with lunch in America. The next one, I guess that leads me into that. I just thought of is what's going on with breakfast. I go on a coffee run every day. So, you know, I'd be lying to say I haven't picked up a couple bacon, egg, and cheeses because I have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a terrible restaurant person. I never go out for breakfast. Oh, you're a great restaurant person. Never go out for breakfast. Make breakfast. I only go out for breakfast when I'm not at home. Like well, if I'm on vacation or I'm traveling, I'm not. I, but I guess my question is, what's, how's breakfast in America? Uh, well, I think breakfast in America is probably the the one segment that's hurting because a people aren't staying in hotels right now, right? Right. And yeah. People aren't going into their offices. Got it. Office attendance is is better than it was, say, a month ago, but it's right. nowhere near what it was in February. Got it. Right. A lot of people pick up breakfast on the way. Sure. Or once they're in their office, they order or they get it in their office cafe or sure. bring it with them. Some people bring it with them, but office breakfast was never the biggest category from restaurants to begin with. It was always the smallest. Right. So, but breakfast is probably is hurting. So we talked about what's for lunch, what's for <laughs> breakfast. What's what else is, what else is going on with the future restaurant? What else? I think that the biggest place that um, uh, can make the largest leap in innovation out of this pandemic is going to be in the dig digital integration. I think a lot of restaurateurs were very, still very hesitant to fully integrate their systems. And I think that the one thing that this pandemic has taught them is how their systems weren't speaking to each other in a lot of instances. A lot of uh, restaurateurs had POS systems and um, other uh, devices and other systems that didn't talk to each other. So when they had to figure out how to do online ordering and have it talk to their POS system and then have a delivery system take the last mile of delivery, they realized that none of their systems spoke to each other. Right. Right. So. 
So what have they done now? Has that been, are they rectifying that? Did they rectify it? Are they paralyzed? What's going on? I think some operators were paralyzed. I think that, um, you know, it's, it's expensive to fix. I think that a lot of the software companies have put patches in place to be able to make them speak to each other. Um, I think that if restaurateurs are going to make investments in anything so that we're prepared for this the next time, because there will be other viruses, there will be other pandemics. I think that we were so unprepared for this just as an industry that I think they'll, we weren't the only industry, but I think in general, we weren't prepared that anything like this could happen, that we would just shut down from one day to the next, right? be completely shut down, that it would help be us be able to stay in touch with our customers if restaurants were more digitally integrated. There are a lot of restaurants out there that still, still don't even have point of sale systems that do everything by hand, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. I know I've seen them, uh, <laughs> but I have also, I have also seen like restaurants that you wouldn't expect where, you know, I, bring my daughter to, or I did pre-pandemic, my daughter to a restaurant called the Red Barn in Montville, New Jersey. It's where we go for breakfast every weekend and it's daddy-daughter time. And it is a casual breakfast spot. And they've, they've hung in there. And they, we were doing some takeout. And now they've got outdoor seating. And even them, I, you know, I asked for a menu last Saturday and they said, use your phone. It's right here. And they had the, the QSR and I put my phone up and they had the QSR code and the menu popped right up on my phone. And I've seen everyone's, you know, a lot of groups are pivoting to that. That's interesting. So the contactless menu and that's great. Yeah. I was, I was impressed that they pivoted to that. So that's great. And, but the, it's interesting because I would be interesting to to know if when you then place your order on that phone, if it goes directly into their POS system in the kitchen, or if it prints out a receipt and somebody has to walk it into their kitchen. Uh, that integration wasn't there, so I didn't I didn't order it from the phone. I just saw them instead of them giving me a menu. Right. It it was on my phone, and I don't know why I asked for the menu. I I right. get eggs over easy with rye right. toast and hash browns every time. So, but there uh, are, but there are now systems where you can scan a QSR code. The menu comes up on your phone. You can sit at your table. You can order your meal. You hit send. And that order goes into a computer into the kitchen. And if you order a drink, the drink order goes to the bar, to the bartender and your order goes into the kitchen and your order gets made. Well, then Steve Ifshin, the uh, former co-founder of DLC, he he and, and the father of Adam Ifshin and 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 Noel, he, he wouldn't have been order able to order eggs because I've sat with Steve <laughs> and Steve said I want scrambled eggs loose and I haven't seen one QSR menu that had a check marks that said you could order the scrambled eggs loose and he had a conversation <laughs> with the waitress about how he wanted to make sure the scrambled eggs were loose. And by the way, if you haven't had scrambled eggs loose, it's way better. I didn't have it until Steve told me about them. Listen, there was no worse crime in his life than if you overcooked his scrambled eggs. (laughs) So, but, but how do you get it? But, but I I point to that example because. 
there are not tougher. a lot of there are not a lot of companies that have that integration. Technology is challenging edge. to solve that. Yeah, it is challenging. But that's where but that's where the industry is going. Got it. Okay. And so, what else is there besides the integration between them? QSR menus. What other digital innovations are? Where are we going? What else should we expect? Um, I think that just getting restaurants digitized, getting the technology in place, getting um, operators comfortable with the technology so that they can change their menus more frequently, they can have smaller menus. All of the things that we talked about in the when we put together the ebook about being able to reinvent your restaurant, um, to to be able to simplify your menu, right? So in a crisis, if you need to um, be able to make your menu smaller to manage your costs, your staff, if you can't, in the beginning of the pandemic, operators couldn't get certain items. It, the supply chain was backed up. You couldn't get certain ingredients. People had to change their menus. If you had to, if you couldn't get in into a computer system, you know, with a digitized menu, you can get in there and change your menu whenever you need to. You can change it every day. Can right? I change what I order from the supplier going online? Can I just order from whomever and say, I need this and go online and do that? I would hope that operators are ordering, placing their orders via a computer. And that they're ordering it online. Not over the phone anymore. Well, some people do. Right. Usually most online ordering systems are from the vendor. So Got whoever it. your vendor is, you're, you have a sales rep, they'll come in and set up an online ordering system for you. It's usually okay. cloud-based. That's a whole separate. But you can tie your inventory to your computer system. Yeah, I, I mean... This will help them with more things than just the re them is the restaurateurs. This is going to help restaurateurs with not just getting through a pandemic. This is going to be better for them. I, you know, I'll never oh, forget. From, I, from a business I, efficiency model, absolutely. You know, there was there's a there's a casual dining restaurant local to me, and I would have never expected this. And uh, I knew the owner, and it was a diner, and it's a great diner, and I the Pompton Queen Diner, and I. I asked him, what are you doing today? And he was going through um, the, it was, it was around the holiday time and he was going through the best sellers for the year and the worst sellers. And he was taking out the, the 10% of the menu that sold the least. And he was going to put some new hot items on coming into the new year. And I was like, wow, this is, this is great that, you know, they're looking at something like this. And I think that's, you know, that's what the digitization can help with, you know, restaurateurs so absolutely i mean there's a there's no point in keeping something on your menu that's not selling you can run a product what's called a product menu mix and see what percentage of x you're selling and you know but that goes back to the basics yeah to me to me in my mind but you know i i get yelled at, at all the time saying oh you've been in the restaurant so long to you that's basic to not everybody else it's not basic right. so um but that's all part of monitoring your inventory. I think streamlining your menu and your operations can all tie into digitizing. I think that operators have learned through this pandemic to do with less, right? Right. I think that we all have learned to do with less. Um, yeah. So I think that they've also, 
Um, you know, restaurants were always really good at cleaning and, and health safety protocols. I think that they're more on top of them now than they ever were before because the health departments have made them be. So I think you can, people can rest assured that, you know, they're doing everything to keep everybody safe. And I think that restaurants need to remember they need to communicate that to their guests. They need to tell their guests what they're doing to keep them safe. And you can do that easier on a digital platform than anywhere else. Well, this has been great. We got, we went through your $5 million idea. (laughs) (laughs) We went through the, you know, where the location based on demographics and, you know, what those people in the, the different generations are looking for. We went through the, you know, what's for lunch and breakfast in America, the digitization, and we, we covered a lot here. Anything else that we haven't covered that we, we should cover about restaurants? No, listen, the, the, my father always reminded me that the most important thing in the restaurant business is real estate, mm-hmm. the location. I know you found that surprising, but it's true. Well, I, I, I'm in commercial real estate, right? So <laughs> I wouldn't say that's surprising, but I, I, you know, I guess I was putting, you know, the quality of food and some of the service, but those are the table stakes. I understand that if you, you can't even open a restaurant, if you don't, you know, if you don't have good food, then there is right. no restaurant. So correct. Fair enough. Well, uh, this was fantastic. Noelle, I, I know you've listened before. So we're going to go to the last part of our show called Retail Wisdom. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready, Chris. All right. So one, I, by the way, you might be ready, but I am, I, I'm going to switch the questions up for you. Okay. So question one. Okay. What is your best piece of commercial real estate advice? Uh, find a really good mentor. Find a good mentor. I love it. Sage advice. Yeah, that's, that is. And I only say that because I came to the commercial real estate business later on in my career. So um, I know it lends well with the restaurant business, but I, a lot of what I do at DLC is not restaurant focused. So find a really good mentor. It helps immensely. Perfect. Second question. We're going to change it up a little bit. Okay. What extinct restaurant do you wish would come back from the dead? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me what retailer. No. <laughs> there used to be a restaurant. In, so I grew up in Manhattan and there used to be a restaurant. Where's that? In, never heard of it. Never heard of it. There used to be a <laughs> restaurant in the village called Joe's that we used to go to, but more than that, there was a restaurant in Little Italy called the Villa Penza that my grandfather used to take my father to, and then my father used to take us to, and I used to love that place as a kid, and it's no longer there. Wow. What, what was, what, traditional Italian food? Traditional Northern Italian cuisine. All right. Last question. Okay. We'll make it food related. Okay. We mentioned scrambled eggs. Okay. I'm on Whole Foods website. Okay. If you Google one of the best, I I don't know that I've ever had these, but one of the, you know, best eggs out there. um, They say vital farms, organic pasture raised eggs. 
what does a dozen vital forms organic pasture raised eggs retail for on Whole Foods website? There are whole eggs in the shell. Yes. $7.99. Ooh, you are close. $6.99, but thank you for playing. Wow. <laughs> Pretty close. Closer than most guests. All right, Noelle. Well, listen, thanks so much, Noelle. This was fantastic. You're welcome, I- Chris. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.